Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. My name is Kerry Newhoff. It's so good to have you join us. Some of you joining us live uh, for our webcast and some of you listening in by podcast. However you're getting here, really, really glad you're here. And we hope this really helps you. We love hearing from you. And you can do that at barnaaccess.com. Tell us what's going on in your life. Uh, and to help us interpret what's happening right now, my good friend and co-host, David Kinneman. David, good to see you. You too, Kerry. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a bit of full season, shall we say, but uh, but making progress. How about yourself? Lots going uh, right. on, eh? personally yeah. and professionally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot going on. My wife's wife's been very sick. As many people know, you can follow some of that journey at prayforjill.com. Mm. Uh, and so that's been 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 a lot. But um, you know, when when it comes to just this year, I mean, uh, sort of all bets are off. The the hinges have come loose. The the wheels are spinning. It feels like that. A lot of us are just trying to think through what's next. And so we're here today just to talk about some of the new things we're learning. And uh, as you said, sort of thanks to leaders who have been joining us for some of the journey this year, listening in on Church Pulse Weekly, adding their voice, uh, trying to get through what is just a, an absolutely bizarre year, isn't it? Well, and I, I appreciate how transparent you are as well, David. Um, you know, normally what would define a good year or a bad year are sort of the personal traumas we go through. Um, and you definitely have that in, you know, Jill's deteriorating health and her cancer, um, which would be enough. I mean, more than enough. But to throw a global pandemic, economic dislocation, uh, racial injustice, uh, I'm even going to get an impartial list here because there's more going on than just that. The climate crisis uh, and so much more. And even the inequality of what's happening, you know, financially right now. There's just so much going on. Everyone, like you said, their head is spinning. Instability seems to be the future. And so to be able to to have this conversation every week, to try to bring some data into the mix to figure out what's going on and to try to talk to thought leaders, I'm really grateful for this. I look forward to this time every single week. And we're going to be joined in a few minutes by Latasha Morrison. A lot of you would know her. She's the author of Be the Bridge. She is a bridge builder, a reconciler, and a compelling voice in the fight for racial justice. Um, She is helping to equip just a lot of in-person communities that are committed to racial reconciliation. Numerous organizations have recognized her as a leading advocate for social justice, including Facebook's Community Leadership Program, Forbes Magazine, and Ebony Magazine. So she's going to join us in a few minutes. But I know this is something that's really close to your heart, David, as well. And Barna has done uh, a lot of analysis and studying when it comes to attitudes about racial justice and the church and equality. And uh, you've got some findings you're going to share with us. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. And um, it has been an interesting year. And of course, the 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 race, the race injustice, the the the, the protests and riots, and all those things have been uh, also one of the defining features of the year. One of the real benefits of social research is it gives us a chance to really peek inside people's hearts and minds. Uh, of course, they can always be you know lying to us, and we always have to think about ways of getting getting around sort of the the idea that people try to present a better version of themselves. They call it the halo effect. We social researchers do. 
but I want to report on a new study we had. Uh, we just released on uh, Barna.com. Uh, and and also a deeper dive study on on Barna Access, a, a longer form report called Race Today, and really looking at what the summer of 2020 might look like in terms of people's attitudes. And so, you know, we we had been doing some work. Um, we were uh, recipients of a Lilly Grant along with some really great researchers, the Racial Justice and Unity Center. We've been working alongside. We've got a brand new report coming out next year called Beyond Diversity. Um, and in 2019, we began looking on that project at attitudes towards race and the church. And, and Barna Group has been doing this actually for many, many decades. George Barna has worked on uh, studies. So it's been a real benefit to me, to, uh, to our organization, to be able to sort of stand on the shoulders of a lot of people who've been doing great work in this space. And we have so much more to learn. Uh, but what we did this summer was we wanted to figure out um, in in midsummer, uh, sort of after most of the the, the racial injustice and and you know sort of racial reconcilia- reconciliation conversations came to the forefront, what did what happened in terms of Americans' attitudes? So we compared data in 2019 to data in 2020, really trying to take a snapshot of you know what has changed, what has not changed, are we making progress? What are some of the key stories? Yeah, and the findings were not all good, if I remember correct. Some of them were really alarming and, and concerning. So do you want to walk us through that, David? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, well, I mean, it's a it's a mixed result, and as you said. So let's start with a little bit of the good news. Um, I'm going to report on three different questions in our, our podcast today. So the first was this question of, historically, the U.S. has been oppressive to minorities and this is uh, one of the th- one and the only one of the three questions that I'll be talking about today that there was real real positive change towards reconciliation. So in 2019, 50% of Americans agreed with that statement. Now in 2020, it was 57%, so a 7% increase. And the good news is we saw increases among white Christians from 43 to 48. Now listen, isn't that interesting? White Christians, only 48% of white Christians agree with that. So just under half. And, and restate that because this is, yeah, again, th- these, are, these are tough findings if you're committed to equality, okay? Right, um, right. So, so please, 52, well, no, I don't want to do negative inference, but only 48% said. Only 48% say historically they agreed with the statement that the U.S. has been oppressive to minorities, um, again, they made positive positive movement in the last year, which is which is something to, to note, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but it's still only forty eight percent. And then among Black Christians, uh, it went from sixty eight percent to seventy eight percent. Among Hispanic Christians, from fifty three to sixty three percent. So among all ethnic groups, especially Blacks and Hispanics, there's been increases. We don't have a large enough sample size to report on uh, on Asians or in, Indigenous Native Americans. Uh, but you can see overall Americans have made some steps forward in the last in the last 12 months that they're they're more likely now to believe that there has been past oppression of minorities. Uh, again, lots of room to grow here, but but that's uh, some some glimmer of good news in this study. So when we look at the uh, the two things, so just sort of brace yourselves here because you know it's really hard in some ways for me even to talk about this. First, I feel really unqualified to do it. You know, as a person who hasn't experienced these. Uh, these issues personally as a white white leader, uh, but also as just a sort of heartbreaking sort of thinking about this. I mean, we sort of you sort of root for the data to come back with with uh, the kind of positive changes that you think the church should embody. But here are the two questions I want to report on. Yeah. Uh, first is, do you think our country has a race problem uh, currently? And that number actually decreased slightly. It's uh, within the range of sampling error, but it went from forty nine percent to forty six percent. So. Uh, really no movement about the current 
realities of a race problem. And you took this after the events of the spring and summer. That's right. It was in July. Um, so it was wow. very fresh for people. Okay. Um, <clears throat> among, among white Christians, that number has gone from 40% to 33%. So white Christians have really declined in their uh, a, a sort of willingness to admit a race problem. Black Christians, on the other hand, went from 75% to, to 81%. So one of the, the key themes for years and years and years is the difference between practicing black Christians and black and and, and practicing white Christians. The, the difference okay. between brothers yeah. and sisters of color and and you know sort of how we as white Christians see that. What's happened is white Christians have actually taken a step back in the last 12 months in, in the events of the summer. And said, no, it's not really a problem. Yeah. And and then black Christians said, no, like make sure you're really you're really hearing us. And the last uh, data point I want to talk about, it was this idea of motivated to address racial injustice uh, in our country. Um, and again, we saw some interesting sort of good news, bad news. The, the little bit of good news is that the percent of adults who said they'd be very likely to pursue racial injustice uh, increased from 14% to 18%. Those are the strong advocates of racial justice efforts. Um, and but you know not a huge change but a slight change. Um, the disappointment was that that um, there was also increase of those who said they're not at all interested. So the, those who are resistant of racial justice, racial injustice questions and conversations that actually got you know got uh, higher. So polarization. We can literally see the data. Like people are more likely to want to help. They're less likely to want to help. Two different tribes of people that become more entrenched, more sort of activated around those perspectives. Uh, and then the last little sort of note on this is that, again, just sort of a heartbreaking reality uh, and, and for me, just sort of personally angering and, and sort of just staggering in its, in its imp impact. 32% of, of Christians last year said they were very motivated. It's only 25% now, um, white, white Christians, 32% to 25%, a big decline. And the increase of those who said they were not, uh, they were unmotivated, went from 23 to 36. So among white Christians, especially, they became actually more entrenched, not all, not all white Christians, but many became more entrenched in sort of um, saying they're not, they're not inclined to pursue racial injustice uh, issues in our society. Among black Christians, exactly the opposite, that they became more motivated to address this from 66% to 72%. Um, those who were unmotivated stayed very, very small. Only 5% of black Christians said they're unmotivated. And those are not statistical variations. David. That's right. Like you mentioned, the first piece was a yeah, three-point change. Okay, you could argue that that was a sampling size thing, but the, these are actual movements in people's attitudes. Right, right. And one of the theories of, of social polling is that um, it, it public opinion is more like a river than it is a, a fixed, you know, sort of geographic feature. It, it changes it. It sort of, there's brooks and eddies, Moves, there's city roads. Mm -hmm, and, yeah. yeah. And so at any one moment, you sort of stick your finger in to sort of figure out what's the temperature. And, and, you know, um, we've done this for, we've done this kind of polling for all sorts of things, big brand studies where, you know, a company will spend tens of millions of dollars, to try to improve their brand and nothing changes. And people are like, why do we spend all that money? And, you know, sort of, it's a real interesting question of like, what moves public opinion? And, you know, we don't have a way of saying this is the cause and effect. Here's why certain people change their attitudes. Um, that takes a little bit different kind of research and very expensive to do. 
Uh, but what we can say pretty definitively is that the summer of 2020 has has almost worked at cross purposes. There's some good signs, some things to sort of build on. But for for many of our our friends, um, you know, fr- friends of mine I know who have been working so hard, who are hoping against hope that this might start the ball rolling in a positive direction. Um, there there are signs of that, and I think, it, but it also tells us that one of the ways that we've moved in a positive direction is realizing how entrenched and spiritual and 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 systemic that these problems are i might even say they're demonic um you know that they're that 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 we're seeing the rise of like the resistance against social justice and equality and other kinds of questions and i understand there's all sorts of really challenging issues related to language and words and and you know sort of race theory and those are things that we're you know we need to be educated about but but the but, but the but the bare facts of this suggests that the church has a lot of room to grow and and that we have to really search our hearts for why it is that these are such entrenched deep problems and why it is that white christians have actually taken steps back in the last six months those are things that should really trouble us i think as christian leaders i find them really troubling and shocking to be honest with you just shocking yeah i mean I, i don't know what to say other than i'm glad we can have these conversations i'm glad we have data that actually shows what's on the inside of the human heart and sadly what's inside the heart of leaders. And I'm grateful for people like Latasha Morrison, who I think uh, this is a good time to bring you in, uh, Tasha. And we are so grateful that for your work, for you joining us in this conversation. So if you would pop in, we'd, we'd love to uh, just get your reaction on how you feel when you hear, and, and I know you saw the numbers ahead of time, but like what, Wow. <laughs> what do you even say? How do you open up? And welcome. It's good to see you. Yeah. Um, the first words that pop into mind um, is disappointment, um, but not surprised. Really? <laughs> um, no, this is historically on path for um, the white evangelical church, unfortunately. But you feel sad and disappointment that we're not learning anything from our history and that um, people are hardening their hearts, as historically um, has been done. But I think it points out a um, we have a deep theological problem. Um, you know, this is a deep this this is the evidence of a deep theological um, problem that we have. That how is your theology um, ending up here when we when we think about the essence of who God is, that of justice and righteousness. And when we see injustice happening, but it's how we see injustice because people, um, they, they see what they believe. They don't believe what they see. And, and I think that's an, important for us to, to understand is um, how our theology, our perspectives, our narratives have informed how we see. And uh, we don't see the same. And, um, and then um, a lot of this, we're missing historical context as it relates to um, our history and telling our stories and the narratives and how we ended up here. And so when you have a lack of information and how we've educated ourselves through um, school and what information we're given, what books that we read, um, and then the same thing in seminary, when you don't hear from you know um, anything from theologians of color, but most all the books and and stuff that you're reading is from white theologians, we have this really myoptic view 
of, of, of who God is. And so all of this plays into the problem of what we're seeing today as it relates to, um, to white Christians. And also we're all educated in the same system. So even myself, there's a lot of growth that I've had to, um, to, to, to learn um, about history and context because so much is missing. And so we've been informed, you know, the wrong way. So I'm not surprised, you know, of course I'm sad, but this is the thing I'll say this, is that as an African-American, I can only speak for African myself as an African-American in this, we're not waiting for um, white Christians to move the needle on this. You know, for 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 white Christians to say, okay, yes, there's racial injustice and um, you, you know, you are fully human. You are created in the image of God. And, you know, um, you know, we need to your God given dignity and um, we need to acknowledge that. And um, in the humanization of, of all people, we're not waiting for for white Christians to say that um, God already said that. Hmm. What we're doing is demanding it, you know, and I think that's the thing, you know, um, it's sad to hear that, you know, um, that some of these numbers are, are, are unchanged. But when people have created an idol around partisanship, when we have race, by definition, race in this country, not ethnicity, but race in this country is, is a political social construct. And it's so when we say that race is a social and political construct and how we look at it, everything that has been done to African-Americans in this country has been done politically. And so when we when so much of that has been politicized and um, broken into partisanship and we've made idols out of those things, um, sometimes justice takes the back burner to my partisanship. I value my partisanship over um, your life in some sense. And so that's the reality, but it takes time because, you know, we've had these things in history when I look at, um, even for, for people of color, like it takes things, moments of things to happen even before we like come together in solidarity um, towards this greater common good. And so you look at that, um, in the anti-slavery movement, the abolitionist movement, and the, the voices in that. And it's never been, um, Carrie and David, it's never been the majority. It's always been a minority group of resilient people that God was with that pushed the needle. So we're not, we're never, so, you know, so all those, although those percentages are heartbreaking to us to hear, I know that majority of people will never believe but we go, wow. we go with the ones who want to go and we push the needle with the people who get it, who are open to, to seeing it and who are open to heart transformation. That's, those are the people we speak to. Those are the ones we go with. It's a fascinating perspective. Um, I thought you were really charitable in your explanation, to be honest. Like we just didn't know we weren't educated. This is the system, you know. However, I don't want to let us off the hook that easily. Yeah. Um, what, what, but thank you. Thank you for the charitable explanation. I mean, the, the data that David shared basically says that people entrenched 
anti-equality views were less committed to fighting for justice or even addressing it at all in a year where it really reached sort of a, a, a national dialogue point, if not crisis point, uh, people retrenched. But you also said something at the end I found really interesting, that it's also partisan and political. Do you think that it got inflamed because this is such a political year by the politics involved? Of course, of course. Um, the answer, and I mean, this is like, this is the thing. We have to be truth tellers in this. We cannot beat around the bush. We got to call a thing a thing. You know, when the answer from our national leadership to racial injustice is to teach more um, uh, um, nationalism, to teach more patriotism, that's a problem. Like, And so that... Everything rises and falls on leadership. You know this. We we do leadership development. We do not separate this from what we're experiencing right now, and 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 what we've seen displayed. I mean, you know, there's an executive order for this, not to teach, um, you know, anti-racism. So, like, it, you know, so this stuff, it 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 all disconnects, and we we can't deny that there's a connection, and we can't be blind to the fact that there's a connection now. We have to realize that the um, odds have never been in our favor as African-Americans in this country. You know, we've had the systems and people always stacked against us. Um, I think, you know, when I think back to the first, um, the resurgence of, um, you know, the NAACP was with the death of Emmett Till. That, you know, his mom chose to have his casket open to see how this young 14-year-old boy had been maimed and beaten um, um, by, by white men. And that was a, a, a resurgence of this movement. I, I think that's what's happening now as, as, as we've seen over the years, um, Trayvon Martin, we've seen um, Tamir Rice, we've seen Sandra Bland, we've seen George Floyd. I mean, the countless names, Ahmaud Arbery, so many, Breonna Taylor. Um, we can go on and on to, this, to the point where you forget the hashtags. There's been so many. But we understand that, you know, even between 1955 when Emmett Till um, died, you know, there was another death of the four, um, the four young girls in the, the Birmingham, um, um, in the bombing in Birmingham. Um, we progressed that even further to really not the Civil Rights Act and all of that not passing to the 60s. So we have to realize that um, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And you're going to have some wins. You're going to have some moments where people are tuned in and engaged. And you're going to have moments where people are not, when people are not on board. But you keep pushing. You keep praying. You know, you. what I'm learning in this and what I've learned from um, some of the civil rights leaders that have gone before me is that you have to be steadfast and unmovable. Mm -hmm always abiding and, you know, in this work. And, and I think that's the thing there is, you have to have longevity in this. And, um, and so I think that's important. That's something that I have to encourage my heart in to, to, to stay hopeful um, that, you know, you know what, maybe 10 people are not getting it, but these five people over here 
are getting it. You know, as Be The Bridge, we are busy doing trainings, you know. Um, think about the growth that maybe you've had over the last few years and think about the growth that you've had, David, over the last few years. Um, you, 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 maybe you're not where you want to be, but you're not where you were. And so there's progress there. So I have to be hopeful in the progress of those that, you know, going to New York to train a staff of a church that wanted to dig deeper. I can't look at the the people that are um, trying to put me in a category of a leftist or a communist or whatever they're saying this week. You know, I can't look at that. You know, I have to, I'm, I'm going to go with those that want to go and, um, because I know without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, the, the, the reconciliation that we seek, the reconciled world that we see, it means the flourishing of all people. Mm. You know, there's justice involved, making it right. And so I know that that is the right thing. That is the Jesus thing. But some of us, we wouldn't recognize Jesus if he was mm-hmm. right there. So, so uh, I've been in dialogue with a lot of leaders uh, over the last year or so, or particularly the last six months. Um, I run into a group, and this is not to excuse the data, but who are like, Tasha, I'm with you. But let me tell you my problem, okay? I addressed it one Sunday, or I brought it up at a board meeting or with some key volunteers. And they said, if you address that, at our church, like we're walking or you're going to get fired or the board is going to discipline you or key donors are going to bail. I would love for you to speak to those leaders who have faced it. And it's not a hypothetical. I can think of a number of white evangelicals who would say, I'm actually sympathetic, but I feel like, you know, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to split my church wide open. What what would you say to them? Yeah, this is this is something that I I know personally that has happened. This is why there was so much silence that Martin Luther King speaks about in the mm-hmm. letter from the Birmingham j- jail. This is why Christians have been so silent even during the anti um slavery abolitionist movement is because it will cost you. And mm-hmm. most are not willing to pay the cost. There's fear. And what do you do? You do it afraid, you know? But there's a way, this is the thing, listen to this. And it sounds, it sounds, sometimes I think we, it's harder than what it is, but this is what we have is a deep, like I said, theological problem. So which the answer to that is discipleship, spiritual formation. So how are you teaching? What are you teaching scripturally? Who are you, who, what, what books are you requiring your people to read? Like, you have to start with, like, how do we get some heart transformation here? So maybe instead of starting at, you know, LMNOP, you got to go back and start at ABCD with your congregation. And um, I, and there's some churches that we've worked with where, you know, as you work on yourself, because sometimes we want to lead people where we're not willing to go ourselves mm. or where we want to speak on something because we want to be, you know, in, the, in trend, but we're not there quite ourselves. There hasn't been enough transformation in our own hearts, but we're speaking. And sometimes we do more damage when we speak prematurely. But what about that, that deep work that you're doing, like getting the mentors that are people of color? 
you know, reading from um, theologians and authors that are people of color, you know, that background work um, and, and what is being poured into you, you begin to disciple your people in that mode. And then when it comes to your board, um, making sure that as you're, you're bringing on a board or you're bringing on elders, that they are in, in, in step with what you're trying to do. So it means that maybe um, hiring someone that has the biggest bank account on, to put on your board or your, your elder board may not be the answer, but maybe someone that has um, laid <laughs> their pride um, at the, the, the foot of the cross, you know, and are, are um, picking, you know, um, understanding this in the in a in a way of humility, this this work of racial justice, and so you know, getting getting that that group on board, then working on your staff before you even take it to the church, because if you're doing it in that order, and you know, by the time you take it to the church, if you have the leadership on board, then it's a a way of discipling your people, and so I think I think a lot of pastors need consultants, they need um, leaders, they need mentorship through this to help them decipher this, this, this journey and this path um, instead of trying to do it on their own. But a lot of people don't find value. They don't want to make the investment. You will, I mean, people don't want to make the investment. We'll invest in so many other things. But if it's important to us, if we're saying we value this, if we're saying we want to do this, that is it really a conviction? And so for me, sometimes I feel like people want to be on trend, but it hasn't become a conviction. And this work of um, racial justice, it has to be a conviction. It has to be a burden because that's when we're willing to count the cost. We're willing to pay the price. You know, I know a pastor that um, a church that they started, um, was dismissed from, that they have made very successful. So it shows you the stronghold that this has, you know, within our church. Um, this pastor is now, you know, in a different church, but I'm just saying like, it will cost, it will cost us. I mean, think about when we pick up the, the this, our faith, when we pick up the cross and follow Jesus, the things that we have to leave behind, the people sometimes we have to leave the, behind, the lifestyle that we leave behind. So the same thing, this is a part of the gospel message. And so it's going to cost. It comes with the cost, you know. And um, But I think you need professional help to walk you through this, you know. Uh, last night at dinner, uh, my, my parents are in town and my mother-in-law is in town. And uh, right before my wife and I got married 25 years ago, my my uh, my mother-in-law uh, remarried a uh, black, black man, really cool dude, uh, named Adam. And, um, and so he's, uh, Adam guy. And so we were talking about his experience. He wasn't there last night. He lives in Seattle and Janice is down visiting us. And, and so my dad was asking Janice, uh, whether Adam had ever experienced sort of like in, and in what ways he had experienced sort of, you know, sort of racial discrimination. So we had some interesting discussions and I was I was observing because my mom had just read um, a, a book um, this summer. She found on my on my shelf um, and so, so something I had purchased, and um, so it was cool because the book really. Um, she was cha she was challenging my dad in some ways, and there was this good little discussion about you know sort of like what what it is that people of color experience. And so it was this little case study for me. I'm always observing things. It's like you know everyone's going to be part of my research studies, I guess, even around the dinner table. 
but but you know the effect of that book having immersed herself in uh, Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm still here. Uh, you know, just this notion of of it was more important to her in understanding someone's perspective than just hearing a sermon series. And so I want to I want to connect that little anecdote to this idea that I think I think we're in a really important moment where learning about things like race and and r- racial justice, learning about things like public health and science, learning like l- learning about how to you know sort of live faithfully in the digital screen age. Uh, I'm convinced that the church doesn't have the discipleship tools in its toolbox that sermons on their own, they've never been more important, but they've never been less sufficient to bring about the kind of deep heart tr- change. So, you know, I, I wonder, and this is even a question for you, Carrie. I mean, what are you observing about how it is that we as as leaders can think about our, our ways of, of teaching and taking people on a journey? I'll say one last thing. I'd love to hear from uh, from both of you guys on this, but it almost feels like we have this this relationship to people who are who are meant to disciple and lead, and Jesus says to take up a cross and and to, to, to like it's going to cost us something to follow people. But in North America, we have this sort of like consumer relationship. Like you're you're I'm going to be here in your church and listening to you as long as there's something of value you bring. So how do we how do we take that that tension of 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 challenging people in the right ways? And and helping them learn from more than just a thirty minute you know forty minute ser- sermon you know a few times a month when they choose to 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 engage it like what can the role of the church look like in this new future it, pedagogically like how do we train people to really think their way through and read their way soul search their way through this stuff I love I love that comment and Tasha I really appreciated your answer which I think in some ways people would go like okay but that's like I'm going to get fired. Like, help me understand what to do. And because I'm going to get fired, I'm just going to shut up. Okay. And you're like, well, educate yourself or do this or whatever. And I honestly, for the record, I think there are some things worth getting fired over. And if that leads to your dismissal, um, I think when it comes to integrity and justice and things that are important, there are some things worth, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to win this one. And I guess I'm done and I'm looking for a new place. But I want to I share with you a little story, which you may know. I had the privilege of interviewing Eugene Peterson before he died a few years ago. And I was talking to him about what it was like to be a young pastor. And he talked about the race riots in Baltimore where he was a pastor. So this was in Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. And he said, and it's funny because you think about this in the context of rioting in 2020, he said, the people in my church, and he was part of a white Presbyterian suburban church in the 1960s, were concerned about what was happening in the city. He said, I was more concerned about what was happening in the hearts of my people. And so he tried to get them into a Bible study and nobody would come until he, he said, if they could actually just read the Bible and understand it, they would realize that this is an issue before God. And so he started translating the book of Galatians out of the original Greek into what he considered modern language. And it was actually a response to the racial injustice in the 60s that eventually went on to become the message. That's actually the message. gives me goosebumps just to say that out loud, but that's actually the, the Genesis story of of that whole translation, which became a big part of his his life's work. And so I think that answers your question, David. Like, yeah, this could be a really deep journey where, um, you know, Eugene Peterson did exactly what you suggested, 
someone in his position today should do. It's like, okay, well, instead of just, you know, putting something on my Instagram and preaching a 20-minute sermon on it and saying, okay, tick that box, I'm going to go into a deep dialogue with people and bring them back to the biblical conceptions of justice and walk them through what it means that there's no slave or free or whatever. Anything else on on practical things? Because I, I suspect under the data, and David and I have talked about this, and David, if I'm, you feel free to disagree. Some of the, um, yeah, it is emotional. Um, some of the, uh, uh, what would you call it? The, the reversal or the change in opinion year to year could be, I'm just trying to find a charitable explanation here that people are just overwhelmed and they're like, my goodness, I got a pandemic. I've got economic uncertainty. I've got racial injustice. I just don't have the energy and I'm personally burning out. I don't have the energy. I don't think that's necessarily true, but is there anything else uh, a leader can do that would be a more sustained approach? Because I think you also say, and this leads me into my next question you know, when there's a riot, when there's a death, when there's an incident, this all kind of upticks. Everybody does their little social media or their sermon or their dialogue or whatever. And then it's like back down on the radar screen again. What is a more systemic approach to uh, a commitment to this look like over over the long haul? Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the things we have to realize is that, you know, as a white Christian, you can turn it off and on. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that concerns me all the time. Um, I'm worrying about my dad. I worry about my brother. I worry about my mom. My mom just told me about an incident that happened with her in a store. And I'm like, mom, be careful because, you know, just the atmosphere now is so volatile and visceral, you know. Um, And so that's something that I you know, worry about. So, yes, there are pastors that are concerned about getting fired. Um, my concern is about living, you know, um, when I go speak on a stage, I don't know who's going to be in that audience. Um, my, my team now, um, I have to have someone that travels with me because of, you know, threats that we get, you know, I, I, um, you know, can you talk about the threats you get? Yeah. I mean, even for me, it's mild on my case. I'm a freaking bridge builder in this, you know, (laughs) and, and, but when you when people don't like what you are saying and then they will dehumanize you and label you something else so all these labels you have to realize that labels are a way of dehumanizing so you detach and so we have to understand that if we are people of faith we are part of the kingdom of god which is totally different system than the world systems so we are countercultural And so we, you know, this is not, the kingdom of God is not an empire. It's totally different from the United States. So in the kingdom of God, we are connected to each other. We have scriptures that tell us that if one part of the body, we are the body of Christ, suffers, then we all suffer with it. You know, if one part of the body rejoices, then we rejoice with it. You know, like, you know, and so we we should understand that as the kingdom of God. And so there's this thing where we think so individualistically about these, these issues. If it's not bothering me and my family, then it's all good. Or I can't be concerned with what's going on there. I don't care if they are Christians. I don't care if, you know, Christians are trying to escape persecution. You know, they ain't coming in my country. 
like that mindset is not even one, first of all, of Christ, you know, because we understand that the things that are legal are not always just. And the things that are just are not always legal because we can look back over history and we can name countless things that were legal. But we now that when we hear those things, we say that they're not just. So in this country, slavery was legal. In this country, interracial marriage was actually, you know, illegal. You know, in this country, there's so many things that, you know, at one point they were legal, but were they just? You know, segregation was legal, but was it just? You know, um, boarding schools for Native Americans was legal, but was it just? You know, and so I think there's things now in our present that we're going to look back 30 years from now, this, this generation is going to say, what were you doing? You know, um, and, and for many, that same answer would be, I did nothing because I was afraid the same way that there are many that sat by while segregation was happening. So I would say, um, you know, as we, as we look at this and as we, you know, as we move this, this needle forward, um, we have to understand that we're not comfortable with discomfort. We don't like discomfort. Um, we're not comfortable with messing up because in this, you, you're going to mess up. You're going to say the wrong thing. But what you, see, what you have to be open to is to being taught by people who maybe know more than you, um, people who have, have, that are doing this work on the front lines, that are in the trenches, that are you know, pursuing justice, um, and, and, and that are um, experts in this field. Um, other people of color, we have to be able to, you know, learn from 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 us, learn from them, um, and and just know that you know what I'm. Maybe I'm not a thought leader in this, and this is an area. But w- the demonstration, the humility that you show in your progress, is going to be so um, um, uplifting and motivating um, for other people because you never know who's watching. You know, this next generation, um, they're watching. And my fear right now is that this, this Gen Z of African-American, you know, youth, they are, um, they are disappointed in the church. They are disappointed in um, a lot of their white church leaders. Um, they are dismayed. And because they view a lot of times Christ through that, it's, it's, they're disappointed in Jesus. Like, how is God allowing this to happen, you know? And so those are the conversations we're having on the other side of this, you know? Yeah. I want to ask both of you, how much of this is generational? David, I don't know whether you can sort of see the different substrata of how people answered that generationally, but my impression is that the younger the demographic, the greater and deeper the commitment to racial equality and justice is. Am, yeah, that's am right. I wrong and, in that? No, that's right. That's what the data shows. That um, and 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 that mitigates the the faith factor. So usually, when we say okay, among practicing Christians or among you know white evangelicals, you'd see a diminishment of their response towards racial justice issues. But among younger evangelicals, they still have room to grow, but among younger evangelicals and younger white evangelicals, these are more uh, issues of concern than their parents and their parents' generations. Um, and so, I mean, I think the flip side of that means 
church, if we don't get this right, if we don't take the time to listen across a variety of different perspectives, and and Latasha, I've I've seen the last couple months too, the same kind of like, you know, even Barna trying to do a survey on this and releasing the data. People are like, "What are you guys doing?" You know, and and for me, it's just like, "Hey, we're just trying to help uh, give people a, pr- a clear perspective of this because if we don't do this, the next generation is al- is already tuning out of the church, and we're going to lose even more credibility." It may with not be your music and your preaching leaders. <laughs> yeah, right. We've lost so much credibility, and it, you know, and it's amazing because it's like when you look over the history of the church, when have we ever been on the right side as it relates to racial justice? crickets and so at some point we have to learn and we we have to wonder like what is this that prevents us you know because 50 years after you're like yeah i would have marched with king um no if if you are not speaking now you would you would have been doing the same thing that most of your parents were doing sitting silent and afraid to break rank and that's what because we're more concerned about power we're more concerned about um, position and, and, and our financial gain than we are human beings. And, and that's the reality of this, you know? And, you know, we make these excuses of, um, you know, well, you're not concerned about this or you're not concerned about, you know, this, this happening in Chicago or what, how do you even know when 75%, 85% of the people you hang around look just like you? Mm. There are, Hundreds of groups that are fighting for, um, you know, justice and, and, you know, and fighting against, you know, violence in their communities. You wouldn't know because you're not friends with any of them. I know them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I know that's the pushback, you know, like people feel like it has to be an either or when not when it's all a both and, you know, um, and, and understanding the systemic issues behind all of this, you know, but most people will say they don't believe in systemic injustice. And, you know, you think about someone, you know, my parents age saying that, well, um, did you go to school with a diverse group of people? And they're like, no. Okay. Then you should believe in systemic injustice because that's why you didn't um, go to school with people who didn't look like you is because of those things. We're not thinking. Um, And so I think we have to paint a picture, but when we go in, let me tell you this, when we go in and this is, this is like hopeful in the sense when we go in and we give people context, people are, if I had $5 for every time someone said, I never knew, I wish I had known. I, I wouldn't, I mean, Be The Bridge would have no financial issues whatsoever, <laughs> you know, because when people, 80-year-old woman came up to me in Gainesville and was like, I had no idea. And she's like, I'm going to do better. If an 80-year-old woman can do better, then I think we all can do better. But we have to have to be open because there's something wrong Um you know, we're not connecting our head to our heart and um, we have a major heart problem um, in Christianity um, and it's a turnoff um, to this next generation. Can you tell us about Be the Bridge? It's something my wife and I are exploring starting a local group uh, up here. Yeah, uh, Be the Bridge is a, I call it my accidental nonprofit. 
You know, I I am a local church girl. I was on staff. I'm at a predominantly African-American church here in Atlanta at one point. Um, I went on to then be a part of um, three um, predominantly white um, congregations um, where I've served as, um, you know, next gen um, to operations um, director and pastor at, at a church. And um and so Be the Bridge came from me um, intersecting into more of um, um, predominantly white spaces and seeing the disconnect, um, you know, the difference in being a part of the African-American church and just things that were said to me, comments. And if I, this is the thing, I do this work because I love deeply. Who signs up for this, Carrie? Who signs up for this, David? Who, I mean, I want to be comfortable, you know? But the thing is, you sign up for this because you care about your brothers and sisters. I do believe that we are brothers and sisters. And because I care, because I love deeply, my thing is, I don't want you to ever say that to another person of color. So I want to use this as a a teachable moment. And so that's how Be the Bridge came about, just the birth of that, just me um, trying to give context to maybe someone that has not been in proximity um, to um, a person of color, maybe never had a teacher or or a boss or worked or anything like that. And um, so Be the Bridge started back in um, 2014 with a conversation with some friends in Austin, Texas. And one of those friends, um, as we went on, um, in the midst of our conversation, the um, Ferguson happened. And we were able to give a totally different perspective and context to give them some other things to think about. And that conversation was so helpful for them in their growth that they said, you know, hey, you should think about doing this. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. People die doing this. I want to walk in a room and people like me and not hate me, you know? And so, but I knew this was something that God was calling me to. So Be The Bridge is an organization that empowers people and culture um, towards racial equity, um, racial healing, and racial reconciliation. And we do this through um, um, methods of, you know, we say inspire, equipping. Um, We create um, materials to help people grow in this. We have a discussion guide that, you know, we say get a diverse group of people together and go through through um, this. We also have specific um, education resources that help um, white people, that help people of color, that help youth, that help university students, because we're not about um, being reactive in this. So I'm not being reactive to what happened this summer. Um, We've been doing this work since, you know, 2014. I've been doing this work since high school, you know? And so I, I want us to be proactive active in this. We're not, because something else will happen to get our attention, but we want to be, you know, proactive in this work. And so we want to um, help people as they um, grow in their racial literacy so that we are growing in justice, that we are growing and moving toward racial reconciliation. And we want to make sure that people understand specifically what racial reconciliation is. And so we give people steps, you know, so we're like our own ramp. We're not an organization that are trying to convince people that race racism exists. This is for people who say, I understand this brokenness. I understand that racism um, exists, but now what do I do? How How do I be a part of change? That's what Be The Bridge is designed for. And where can they learn more about that? What, uh, what's the website? 
Yeah, you can go to be the bridge.com. Um, you can also follow us on um, social media, Instagram at be the bridge.com and at be the bridge, sorry. And then on Twitter at BA Bridge Builder, um, you know, at BA Bridge Builder. We couldn't get the be bridge <laughs> quite yet <laughs> but um so you can follow us there and um, our website we have several things on there you can you know we have courses and classes and trainings that we offer uh, we're just doing our part be the bridge is not the only way it's just one way and we're just trying to do our part to move this needle and to move um you know individuals toward a more reconciled um community and world and so that's what we're about and um you know, we love what we do and we have, it's not just Latasha Morrison. I have an entire amazing team. Um, they can also learn more on our podcast, um, Be The Bridge. David, any final question or thought that you want to offer today? Uh, no, I just really appreciate you being with us, Latasha. And I, I picture, you know, the the realities of being a bridge and sort of the the, the load-bearing aspects of that right like you've got to actually be architected to carry the weight to have people driving across that bridge and the the efforts to sort of engineer it and picture you know sort of like i've, I've often uh, my daughter goes to school up in the bay area and when i see the bay the, the the bay bridge or you know the golden gate bridge i'm like some human being stood there and like you know what? i bet you we could build a bridge across that gap of water and then we can engineer it and every year we're gonna have to paint it and repaint it and re and fix it and work on it so I love the I love the imagery of that and what it means for us and, and then the, some of the scriptural insights you know that the, that there's the, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Christ mm-hmm. and um, you know just some of these beautiful beautiful things that are so deep in our th- theological traditions and in what Jesus has saved us from and, and to become so I just want to thank you for being here uh, for choosing you know to, to sort of to to enter into this and to, to for being a bridge for many of us who are still trying to learn or trying to grow who are trying to take you know, our own homes and our households and our hearts into the places that that God wants us to be. So thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Tasha, so much. And David, uh, people can find a lot more if you want to really see what Barna has done in the area of racial justice, the profiles, or if you want to even see the results, that's at barnaaccess.com. It is, yeah. There's lots of free stuff at Barna.com. Uh, some of the st- the stats I was uh, started our our, our uh, interview off with. Uh, the race today poll. There's a long briefing that's available at Barna Access. Part of what my conviction as a, a, a social researcher, you know, and a bit of a geek is that I think it helps. Um, it helps us as leaders to talk about issues when we can uh, depersonalize them, not dehumanize, but to sort of depersonalize instead of this person or this expert or this, you know, sort of talking head had these points of views. Like, this is just what our people, this is what our culture, this is what we we believe. Look at the fact that younger Christians want the church to show up in a better, more strategic, more theologically rich and robust way. And the stats can be helpful to you as a leader, whether you're in your board meeting and your team development, um, just for you as a leader to try to understand where culture is at. Well, um, I, I was going to say, you know, back to a question I asked earlier, to bring that survey into a board meeting and say, which side of this equation do we want to be on? Like, which which part of the poll do we want to be on? Because I think most people, when they actually look at that, would go, okay, that's fair. That's yeah. a good call out. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, just a thought, just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff. there's a whole, there's a whole race and the church channel on Barna Access for subscribers. Uh, and then there's free materials, but we've done you know increasingly more tracking studies. We've got a state of the black church coming in next year. 
uh, Beyond Diversity, the report I mentioned to you that's being funded by Lilly, uh, substantially by Lilly. Um, you know, we've been learning a lot and we've been growing and, and we realize our company has a lot, a lot of growing to do, even in just in telling the strength and vitality of the black church in America. I mean, it's kind of one of the crazy things is, um, you know, for as long as I've been here, 25 years, black Americans are actually more Christian than white Americans. And so we have so much more good work to do to understand that strength and resilience, to talk, talk about it. Obviously the black church has places to grow as well, but we have so much more to learn together as we, as we face an uncertain future as Christians. And I think this vision of, you know, um, every tribe, every tongue, you know, the diversity that we see and, and sort of the end of the story, uh, in revelation and how God expects us to be sort of a living embodiment of that. Um, and, and it, maybe just one last thing, I feel like part of my calling and, and that of Barna lar more, more largely speaking is to try to reconcile people to their experience of the church. So, you know, I wrote a book called Unchristian, which was about people who've, who've had this sort of negative set of perceptions of the church. I did a book called You Lost Me. Uh, so Latasha, I, I, I sort of, I know what it's like to sort of be in the trenches where it's like, man, why did God call me to try to talk about these really difficult topics? And uh, so I sort of feel the same sort of impulse from the Lord as I lead Barna that we're meant to sort of um, be a bridge organizationally, that we're, we're, we're meant to spend some of our capital in the church, maybe all of our capital in the church to try to be a reconciling community. Um, and so, you know, for me, that's what, that's what the courage I have tr try to have in this is that it feels to me like there's such a, a bigger opportunity for the church that we sometimes miss, that we often miss. Um, and, and so we're willing to take, you know, what steps we can, we have lots of ways to grow, um, as a, as a, as a company and as we serve the church, but research is one way to do that is sort of say, Hey, this is the set of experiences someone else is having. They could be young non-Christians. They could be black brothers and sisters. They could be non-Christians. I'm trying to always just tell the truth and help people sort of reconcile that social, that picture from social research into their, their reality as a leader. So what does this mean for us as leaders today? What do we do about these big problems? Uh, God's calling you to be an agent of change uh, in, in those situations as well. Wow. Well, thank you very, very much, Latasha Morrison. David, as always, thank you so much. You can learn more at barnaaccess.com. Thank you for joining us for Church Pulse Weekly. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. If you're listening on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. And if you would, share it on social as well. Let some friends know. Uh, we're really grateful you're here. Really grateful for your input. And thank you so much for helping us see what's going on. We'll see you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.